reading things like the Lord of the Rings, I think, helps me read scripture so that I have a more developed imagination. I have a greater sense of the beauty of the narrative. You are listening to the Artisan Tree Podcast, a journey through art and faith, episode 13. As many of you may know, the area of creativity that I locate myself in is in fiction writing, more specifically epic fantasy. And since I'm a pastor and a student of the Bible, I'm always looking to find ways in which fantasy writing and faith can come together. Therefore, I was thrilled when I discovered that renowned biblical scholar Joel Green is an avid Lord of the Rings fan. I invited him onto the program to see if his appreciation of Tolkien had any connection to his faith. I was greatly pleased with his response. So listen in as Dr. Green shares with us how the Lord of the Rings has shaped the way he reads the scripture and how fantasy writers can serve their church communities through their talents. Hey everybody, Jason Link here. Welcome to the Artisan Tree Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Artisan Tree Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at artisantree.org. Come back often and feel free to connect on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can also follow me on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Hello, here we are with Joel Green, the Dean of the School of Theology at Fuller Theological Seminary. Hi there, good to be with you. (laughs) Thanks. So Joel, you are quite the accomplished biblical scholar. Uh, You've written like half the books in the library here at Fuller. And I don't think a, a Fuller student can actually graduate without reading one of your books. I think it's actually required somewhere, unspoken law, that you have to read a Joel Green book before you graduate. But I'm coming to you more as, I know that you're a Lord of the Rings fan. I remember when I was sitting in your class, and you had your desktop on the, the projector screen, and there on the projector screen was a scene of Rivendell, and I thought, you know what, I want to get to know more about this guy and his, his <laughs> love of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> So before we do that, though, I do want to give this, like, your biblical perspective on writing fiction, more specifically fantasy, uh, Lord of the Rings-esque type writing. So could you tell us some of your story of how you got into your profession of biblical studies? Sure. I uh, started heading this direction actually when I was in high school. Uh, Strangely, I wasn't thinking about uh, a career in biblical studies. I'm not even sure I would know what that would mean (laughs) when I was in high school. But my love of study, my love of scripture, uh, and my love of uh, being involved in formation, those were all well in place by the time I was in high school. And then when I was in seminary, I had a strong sense of vocation to go on and to be a part of the profession of biblical studies, though I also was pretty nervous about that. A number of my professors, both in college and in seminary, seemed to be pretty detached from what I might have called at the time the real world. Uh, so uh, in seminary, uh, it wasn't clear to me that my uh, some of my professors were actually located uh, in the church, had located themselves within the church. They were involved in denominational issues. They were involved in, uh, you know, council of churches type things. But we never heard much uh, from some of them about uh, their actual engagement in the local church. So I wondered if there was something endemic to being a, a Bible scholar or a theologian that sort of took you out of, out of the local congregation. 
As a result of that, it was pretty important to me when I started looking at PhD that I find someone under whom I could study uh, who was not only a world-class New Testament scholar, but also someone who was committed to and heavily engaged with the local church. And uh, that's why, in the end, I went to Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland and studied under Howard Marshall and uh, found there the kind of of connection between scholarship and church that I was after. And that's where you, that's kind of spun you into a, a study of scripture. And But obviously there are people who study scripture, like you said, yeah. who don't go into the community. How did you make that? How well, did, for me, it's a little bit about, uh, sorry to say this out loud, a little bit about geometry. <laughs> uh, a lot of uh, people that I know uh, like to think about building bridges between uh, serious study of Scripture, uh, biblical scholarship, and the church, as though those were two separate things. And so even the modeling of how that works, in my mind, can be problematic because it suggests that there's a place where one appropriately studies the Bible as the church's book, the Bible as Scripture. There's a place apart from the church. I actually don't understand that way of thinking. I think that it makes much more sense to locate reading Scripture uh, within the church, uh, even if you define the church broadly, to include seminary uh, conversations over coffee and so on. But it means that instead of locating yourself in a kind of dispassionate, objective, uh, neutral, Department of Religious Studies kind of location, you actually think about the significance of this book within the context of the global church, the historic church, community of faith that is part of your own vibrant uh, faith. So now that we have your perspective, uh, where you're coming from, let's get into like the fiction. How, how have your studies of scripture affect the way you read fiction literature, i.e. Lord of the Rings? Well, I probably want to turn the question around. Okay. Rather than asking how my study of scripture shapes uh, my reading of fiction or literature, I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's my reading of scripture, I'm sorry, my reading of fiction uh, that helps me read scripture, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I came into reading the kind of thing we're talking about, Lord of the Rings, came into that, oh, I I would say the the end of uh, high school, the first years of college, primarily through C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. And then that led me to the next step, which was Lord of the Rings, uh, J.R. Tolkien, and so on. But I think that the way I was raised and the way a lot of uh, biblical scholars are formed, there's a, there's a relative lack of imagination mm. within the evangelical church that sometimes we think in terms of, of you know, propositions and syllogisms and, and uh, all very logical and reading, reading these guys, reading these uh, narratives, reading these stories, actually opens up another part of your brain, so to speak, and lets your imagination run a little bit, quite apart from syllogism, logic, propositions, and so on, and leads to the place where you, you read not only to get something, but to enjoy and to, to appreciate, to uh, be marveled, to uh, have uh, emotional responses, turns of phrase that catch you by surprise and lead you in a direction you hadn't thought about before. So reading things like The Lord of the Rings, I think actually uh, helps me read scripture in those kinds of ways so that I, I have a more developed imagination. I have a, a greater sense of the beauty of the narrative. Uh, and a greater sense of involvement within the story rather than standing, you know, two or three feet, holding it at arm's length and, as one of my students likes to say, dissecting it as if it were a dead thing. 
So mm-hmm. I, I actually think that those guys, Tolkien, Lewis, and so on, they've they've helped me read scripture more than my study of scripture has helped me read them. And can you give us a can you think of a specific example of how, how reading these fictions have helped you read the biblical text? Is there like a specific story you can think of that Not really. I think it's more a set of sensibilities than a particular illustration. One of the things that happens with good literature, it seems to me, is is uh, without you even knowing about it, without you thinking about it, without you planning on it, you find yourself uh, either in the story or you find yourself identifying with certain characters within the story. Sometimes this character, sometimes that character. And in, in either way, you find yourself involved in the story rather than just, you know, reading it in a in a way that objectifies the story and, and lets you engage it critically. I think that's primarily the thing that happens. Hmm. I also learned that when I'm reading both fantasy and when I'm reading people talking about fantasy, I'm, I'm interested in the degree to which people see different things so that there's not, you know, one single way to read. And there's even the possibility that you read against what the author thought he or she thought they were doing. And so the text itself, in a sense, becomes alive, becomes personal. You get involved in it. You, you sort of live in it. Uh, you find your home in it. That's, I think, what fantasy has pressed me to do. Uh, I started taking this kind of approach more seriously, I think, when I started working on the Gospel of Luke. This would have been years ago when I was first asked to write a commentary on Luke. And it's easy, on the one hand, to get lost in, and quite rightly lost in issues of the meaning of words, the development of of, uh, syntax, those kinds of things as you're working through the Greek text of Luke. But there's also this sense in which you see Zacchaeus differently. You see yourself in the story of Zacchaeus differently. You see why people might respond this way or that way to the Zacchaeus story, depending on their imagination, depending on what they expect to find, and so on. Uh, I, I think that that's more the the ledge, so to speak, on which I stand when I look at these things. Less a less a particular example, and more a gotcha. a set of sensibilities, a posture before the text. Right. I suppose you could say that I, when I read the Book of Revelation, uh, I especially hear in the background scenes from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, not because I think Tolkien had the Book of Revelation in his <laughs> head. But because of this, you know, big screen, this big mural, big drama, what am I trying to think of? This, this huge picture of epic. the battle. Epic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this huge epic uh, struggle of, of good and evil. And even some of the characters can be plugged in here and there. But I suppose reading The Lord of the Rings prepares one better to read uh, Revelation. From your perspective as a biblical scholar, what would you like to see more in fiction literature, what would you like to see more of? Or what challenge, maybe you could phrase the question this way, what challenge for all of the listeners who are writers in fiction, what sort of, what would you put for them? Like, hey, I'd like to see more. I The, the fiction that I read, uh, the, the fantasy fiction I read, uh, I actually think does a pretty good job of, of this already. I, I get kind of tired of, uh, you know, sort of simple stories and simple one-dimensional portrayals of characters that suggest they're either good or bad uh, or always good and always or always bad that sort of thing and so i'm interested in something that you you begin to see some in scripture which is some of the complexity not of characters because characters in scripture can often be well relatively one-dimensional there's some obvious uh 
uh, counterexamples, of course, but the way Scripture portrays the human situation, which is hardly one-dimensional mm-hmm. or simplistic. Uh, Solzhenitsyn uh, talked about the line between good and evil, uh, not not separating humans from humans, but but in a sense separating a human uh, from him or herself. So the line between good and evil passes through every person's heart. Mm. And so when I read when I read uh, fiction, I'm interested in in those kinds of real struggles, real struggles that don't always lead to redemption, mm. but sometimes do, and sometimes do in remarkable ways, and sometimes do in quite simple ways. If you think of the hobbits in Lord of the Rings, there's a there's a kind of simplicity about them, a complex simplicity, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Uh, Gandalf is willing to put faith in them in extraordinary ways, uh, I think because of their simplicity. Hobbits will do what hobbits do. Uh, they can't. They can't do what they aren't, and what they are is, in the end, enough. And mm. I, I like that kind of portrayal, where you know it's not this sort of typical Christian literature, but it is deep theological literature that portrays life as it really is, uh, the depth of struggle that really is there and the pulls in various directions, forces at work in people's lives that lead them to this way or that way. Looking to the church, and what, what can fiction writers add to the church? How, yeah, you know? yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting question. I think that one of the things that attracted me early on to Lewis and company is not simply what they wrote, but this gathering they had, mm. uh, the Inklings, when yeah. they gathered. Yeah. Uh, they were their own little uh, small group, so to speak. Right their own little community, uh, their own little um, friendship. But part of me wants to say that that what fiction writers might bring to the church, might add to the church, is if they engage in that kind of behavior, is that kind of behavior uh, where you're actually meeting together, you're forming a community, even if it's a community within the community, you're arguing with each other in friendly ways about what you're working on, you're pushing each other to your best. Part of me thinks that that notion of a circle of in the Old Testament circle of prophets and the New Testament of uh, apostolic circle, in, mm-hmm. in our case, a, a writing circle, hmm. if that makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. A, a, a little writing community. <laughs> uh, I one of the things I struggle with about the church these days is how much it's focused on uh, one hour a week or two hours a week, and how little notion of parish there is, so that church actually doesn't take up much of our lives. Hmm. But if you if you involve yourselves in communities like those guys did then obviously it's not the institutional church we're talking about, but it is nonetheless a, a little ecclesial community uh, that can shape what the church looks like and press each other to take even more seriously the nature of the gospel, the nature of the theological witness. So that's one thing, but uh, you're probably asking me about other things. No, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> what can fiction writers add to the church uh, for me uh, the biggest, uh, most important thing they could add is a stronger sense of imagination and beauty and uh, drama. I I struggle. I mean, I get it, right? I get the idea of putting sermons on PowerPoints, right? <laughs> right. I get the idea of, of, of uh, what some pastors do when they pass out an outline of the sermon, et cetera, et cetera. But, but where's, the, where's the grand scheme, the grand scope of what God is doing in the world? Where's the, the reshaping of people's life worlds uh, that, that allows them to see themselves 
living in a narrative, living a story that's bigger than they are. I, I worry that uh, what we do in the church too often focuses on six ways to do this or ten principles for that or two keys for that. And there's no grand conversion that takes place mm. with the theological imagination. We don't mm. get the sense that God is a big God and that we're a part of something really earth-shattering. The, the, the kind of teaching and or preaching sometimes we hear reduces God to something small and reduces faithful discipleship to five things that we can do uh, in our put on our agenda or our calendar. And the, the sense of mystery, the, the depth that fiction writers bring, I'd love to see more of that taking place here. I, I don't know if you've, you've ever uh, been to a church where um, the pastor is not only a good storyteller, mm. but a good teller of stories. That mm. is, there's not only a good story to tell, but he or she has a little bit of thespian in them mm. so that there's a performance taking place. Right. Uh, it's a performance that, on the one hand, you might say is the preacher up there doing stuff. But a good teller of stories doesn't just do stuff, but involves uh, the listener in the telling. And when that happens, then suddenly we feel ourselves transported into a drama bigger than ourselves and a, a drama that puts our uh, more mundane lives into a larger perspective. Mm. I wish that fiction writers would help us more with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and undoubtedly they would do that uh, if they were allowed uh, to say things. <laughs> uh, whether in, in an adult ed class or a Wednesday night seminar or a Saturday evening sermon time or whatever. That's what I think uh, fiction writers could do for us. The epic. Yeah. Bring the epic back yeah. to church. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, when, when I first started teaching, which would have been uh, back in the late 80s up in Northern California, I was in a, in a, in a school, a graduate school, basically made, made up of people who, who were in their 30s, 40s. Uh, they came out of school ready to grab it. Uh, whatever it was, and by the time they were 30, 35 or so, they had gotten it, and it wasn't what it, it was cracked up to be. Right. It, it wasn't, it wasn't satisfying. It wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't. It was. It was just too small. Whatever it was, mm-hmm. money, a house, you know, whatever quote unquote success might look like. And so, part of what we discovered as we uh, were engaged in in uh, education in that context was the importance of expanding how people understood the significance of their work and of their lives. I remember preparing a sermon at the time where I asked the question, how big is your God? And it was, even, even, the, even the title uh, of the sermon was interesting for the way that it expanded people's thinking about what God was up to in the world mm. and how then they might engage with God. That's the kind of thing I'm thinking about. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Um, is yeah. there... Before we go, is there anything you're working on that you that we can to learn more about what you're doing in your work? Is there a book that we can read or? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I just finished a book on uh, conversion in Luke Acts, okay, which uh, you won't be surprised picks up on some of the things we've just been talking about. Okay, uh, the way in which conversion is is hard because of how deep it has to go. Mm. It's not just I was doing this now I'm going to do that. It's here are my patterns of thinking, feeling, believing, and behaving. And now here are my patterns of thinking, feeling, believing, and behaving. And 
and there's been a transformation, mm-hmm. and there is an ongoing transformation as well. Thanks. So that's what I've just finished up, uh, and I'm working on a number of smaller projects right now in the whole area of theological hermeneutics and theological interpretation of Scripture, which relate to the question of how 21st century people read Scripture as Scripture and not simply as historical artifacts. Mm. So that's what I'm doing right now, all in the process of looking at bigger projects, mostly focused on the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Well, thank you so much, and God bless you in your Thank you. Thank you. Great to be with you. This has been the Artisan Tree Podcast. For more information, you can visit artisantree.org or epicjason.com. Thank you for listening, and be blessed.